Well, it is so good to have every one of you with us today, and uh, right now we have uh, many who are joining us online as well, and so if you're on site, if you're in the room with me right now, would you welcome in our, our uh, online community? Yeah. Good to have them with us. Hey, we are in week three of this series uh, coming up for air. Hopefully you've been here for all of it. It's been good. We've had lots of good response. A lot of people saying that... Uh, this was needed, uh, you know, in kind of the crazy culture uh, that we find ourselves in. One of the statements that uh, has come out in this uh, that Chad shared was, Jesus doesn't want the, the currents uh, of our present culture getting the best of us. He doesn't want us to feel like we're drowning in a sea of uncertainty, chaos, worry, and stress. Last week, Chad said it this way, the life-draining rhythms of our culture aren't sustainable over time. Yet, we try, right? We try to stay up with the culture. We try to manage and navigate the culture on our own power, in our own way, and we fall short. And uh, Jesus, in one way or another, says it this way, take a deep breath. I've come to give you a better way. And that's what we're trying to tap into in this series as we uh, have been talking about coming up for air. We want to grab hold of that life, that life of fullness. He came to bring us uh, life abundantly. We want to grab hold of that, take a deep breath in that life that he desires for us. So again, we're glad you're here and uh, we're ready to come up for air once again today. So today we're going to be talking about don't panic, all right? Uh, have you ever had a moment of panic? Every one of us have. I, I know that. Maybe you can remember a time, a specific time of panic because you were cut off from air, right? Have you ever experienced that? Maybe somebody was holding you down under the water at the pool when you were a kid and it's like, ah, you know, freaking out. Uh, remember that happened before. Uh, I remember whenever I was a junior in high school, was working out uh, at, at off season with the football team and, and uh, one of my buddies came up behind me in the gym and I uh, thought he was being funny, put me in a headlock, you know. Some of you have seen that. Don't do that. It's really bad. Anyway, puts me in a headlock, and uh, um, I begin to, of course, panic because I mean, he's cutting off my airflow and my blood supply, and, uh, and then I uh, began to fight, and then I passed out. And, <laughs> and, and, of course, being one of my good friends, he didn't um, let me down gently like he should have. He just dropped me. I mean, like, I, I don't know if he didn't think I really passed out. Maybe I was faking or what, but he just dropped me. And the back of my head hit the incline bench, and then I just fell on the floor. Yeah, it was, it was really sad. Anyway, um, I don't know how long I was out. It was long enough that um, everybody in the weight room came and gathered around me and started laughing because whenever I came to, there they were, you know, was, oh, look at Matt, you know, he's on the floor. And I was like, okay, what happened? Why is everybody laughing at me? And why does the back of my head hurt so bad, you know? Oh, man. Maybe you've had a moment of, of panic like that and uh, when your blood supply got cut off or air supply. I get it gets cut off. If you know much about lifeguarding, some of you have probably been lifeguards before, um, and you go to try to save somebody for drowning, one of the things you really have to watch out for is the drowning person panicking. Because in their panicking, they can cause a lot of harm. Matter of fact, it's been known that those who are drowning as they're being saved, they have flailed their arms and knocked out the people that are trying to save them. Or they've grabbed hold of, in their panic, grabbed hold of the person who came to, to save them, and both of them end up drowning. That's why lifeguards go through so much training on how to rescue those who are drowning because of the panic that sets in in that moment. 
when we're deprived of air. But every one of us, again, we've, we have faced moments of panic in life. You, maybe there's stories already going through your head. You can remember times that you've, you've panicked. I remember another time whenever I was young uh, at our, uh, on our farm, we had a uh, separate garage. It was an old, rickety, two-story garage at the end of our driveway. And I had so much fun playing in that garage growing up, up and down the stairs, and, and uh, just, just had fun playing around in there. And uh, one particular day, I was about six or seven years old, I, uh, I came across a little jar, a little mason jar, a lot like this one here. And my dad stored a lot of things in that garage, and um, one of the things he had in there was fuel. <laughs> and I found some gas and poured a little bit in the jar, and, and then I poured a little oil in there, and I was having somewhat of a scientific experiment, you know, the gas and the oil separating, you know, the oil on the bottom, the gas on top, and I that's so cool, you know, and, uh, and so I was just having this uh, wonderful time of uh, exploration, you know, playing with gas and oil. Kids don't do that. Um, and it just so happened to be in this garage, there was a book of matches. You know where it's going. Yeah. Six, seven-year-old boy, matches and gasoline. Where's that going to go? Anyway, um, and so I, I sat the jar of gas and oil down on the table. I, I did have the um, smarts, the wisdom to step away from uh, the table before I lit the match. But there was this one thing in my experimentation that I had not considered or thought about, and that is fumes. <laughs> so I light the match, and, and uh, I notice, wasn't really expecting it, but I notice a flame on top of the jar. I <laughs> At first, I thought it was really cool, and then I panicked. <laughs> I was like, oh no, what's this going to do? You know, a jar of gasoline with a flame on top. How could this go wrong? And uh, and so my mind begins begins to wonder what what am I going to do in this moment? And so I thought I need to get this jar outside this garage. And so logically. I walk over to take it outside. Now, there's a funny thing that happens when you have a flame burning on top of a jar, glass jar. The glass gets hot. And so I, I go to pick up the jar and immediately feel the heat searing my hand. And in my panic, I threw it. Yeah, that was pretty much my response. What? <laughs> I mean, and gas and oil and flames went everywhere in the garage. I mean, there was a desk in there. It coated it. There was a workbench coated it. Stairs. It went up the stairs, and there's flames everywhere. And I am panicking <laughs> to a whole new level at this point. And I run out of the garage. I run into the house where my brother is, my older brother, and like, Brian, come save me. And uh, he went out. I don't even remember what he did, but he got out the fire. And he saved me. <laughs> panic. Maybe you got your story of panic in your life. It's a wonder us boys survived childhood. If we were going to put a definition to panic, it would be this. <clears throat> it is a sudden, overwhelming fear, with or without cause, that produces hysterical or irrational, <laughs> irrational behavior 
And that often spreads. It'll spread throughout the group. Maybe you've seen that. We see that in the animal kingdom. We see it among ourselves. Why we tell youthquake sponsors, if something crazy happens at youthquake, remain calm. Because if you freak out, it'll go through the kids. Right? We've got to be calm. And so that is panic. And we all deal with it. Someone on Twitter not too long ago put this uh, statement on there. It says, adults panic when, they, when they're stuck in debt, a dead-end job, or an overturned car. Kids panic when they're stuck in a shirt. <clears throat> oh, to be a kid again. Typically, the more we mature, the less we panic, the more we're able to have the right perspective of life's challenges and crisis that come our way. The Apostle Peter had a moment of panic. He was out on a lake, and something happened that caused him to panic. And we're going to talk about that story today. We're in Matthew chapter 14. If you have your Bibles and get there, follow along the notes, Matthew chapter 14. But a little bit of context, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Right, so this was a amazing event that had just taken place, and and uh, and it's actually believed that was five thousand men. It's believed that could have he could have fed as many as fifteen to twenty thousand people at that that moment with that small little meal that was given to him. And so that's the context of what's happening is is right after the feeding of that huge crowd. It says this in verse twenty two, Matthew fourteen, immediately. After that had taken place, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. I think it's interesting that Matthew says there that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Almost like they didn't want to get in the boat. The word that is used there is he compelled them, all right? Like almost forcefully, he made them get into this boat to go to the other side of the lake where he knew the plan was he was going to meet them there later. And we might ask the question, well, why would he have to make them get in the boat? Maybe they had just seen Jesus do this incredible uh, act of feeding all these people and they thought, we don't want to miss what you're going to do next, right? I mean, this has been awesome. Or we want dessert, you know, I don't know. If we go to John chapter 6, we get another little glimpse into what's happening at that feeding of the 5,000. It says, so John records over there that the people that he fed wanted to make Jesus king. They saw what Jesus did, and they, in their minds, are thinking, he's the one. Let's just make him king now, right? And let's just, let's just start taking over Rome, right? I mean, that's what's in most of the Jewish uh, mindsets at that time. And so it is believed that maybe Jesus didn't want his disciples to be thinking the same thing and turn on him and say, hey, you're going to be king. And so instead, to keep them from being tainted by what the crowd was believing and wanting, he put them in a boat, sent them out onto the lake. Jesus made him get in the boat. Look at verse 23, keep going. After he had dismissed them, the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. If you read through the Gospels, you read the accounts of Jesus, you see this often. He gets away alone. Chad said it last week that you never see Jesus in a hurry. I think you can also say you never see Jesus in a panic and I'd say this is why. He constantly got away with his father, and he kept his perspective set on 
that eternal perspective of his Father in heaven. He didn't hurry through this life or panic when things didn't go right because he was close to him. We need to get alone with our Father. Look at verse 24. Keep going. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, we know from other accounts that they're about three to four miles away from shore. They've made it a little ways, but what does the text say? They are fighting against the wind. Now, remember, let's back up just a little bit. Remember, why are they in the boat in the first place? Jesus told them to get in the boat. And when he tells them to get in the boat and heads out to the lake, do you think Jesus knew that they were going to be going into a headwind? Oh, yeah, you know he knew that, all right? I, I, I have two theories on that. Number one is this, that Jesus knew he was going to walk out to them later, and he didn't want to walk that far. I don't know. I, you know, I'm just going to keep the wind blowing against them, you know, maybe. Or he wanted them to learn a lesson. Sometimes when Jesus puts us in the boat, we still go through struggles and trials and challenges. When we walk through this life, when we're in the boat that Jesus put us in, sometimes we still face headwinds. We still face struggle and challenges. And we've got to remember, no matter, Jesus put us in the boat. We trust him through it all. Verse 25, keep going. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, this is somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. After Jesus spent time alone with his father, he says, all right, it's time. I'm going to go. And he starts to walk out on the water. Now, Matthew records this very simply. He went out to them walking on the lake. If I was recording this, I'm pretty sure I'd have an exclamation point right there. (laughs) He walked on the lake. (laughs) I mean, you know, like, this was crazy that he was walking on the water. I mean, you don't see this every day. But that's how he goes and he catches up with the disciples is walking on the lake. Look at verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They understood this was a crazy deal. They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. So how did the disciples respond? They are terrified. I mean, they are scared of what's happening. Now, remember, some of them are fishermen. They've grown up on a lake. They've been in boats most of their lives, and they have never seen anything like this. Can you imagine? Maybe the first disciple sees what he thinks is a figure of somebody walking on the water, and he's like, guys, <laughs> I think I see something over there. They're like, ah, oh, it's the fog, <laughs> you know? Don't worry about it. It's nothing. We're out in the middle of the lake. Who's going to be out in the middle of the lake? No, guys, <laughs> look. And then finally they all begin to look, and they begin to see a figure walking across the water. Oh. And it's getting closer. <laughs> I mean, that's, not, that's even worse. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's over there, but he's getting closer. Guys, row, 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 <laughs> you know? But Jesus, as he gets close enough, he knows they're tired. He knows they're scared. And it says immediately, immediately, he reaches out to them. He encourages them. Take courage. Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. It's interesting that statement there when he says, it is I, literally is I am. 
Have you heard that statement anywhere before? I am. Old Testament. Moses burning bush, that was one place. Where God says, I am. I am God. I'm the one. And so when Jesus makes his presence known, he is not just making his presence known. He is making his deity known. Hey, guys, take courage. I am God. I am in control. I'm walking on this water because I'm God. And this is the first time, if you read through the Gospels, this is the first time that Jesus so clearly has articulated to these disciples his deity. And so they are blown away in this moment. But Peter, oh, listen to what Peter says, all right? Jesus makes this revelation, tells them, hey, calm down, don't be afraid. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. That is so Peter, right? I mean, if you know Peter very well, I mean, he's the one that's always out front. He's always loud. He's, he's always the one that's pushing the envelope. And he says, Jesus, if this is you, tell me to come to you. At least Peter knew that he needed Jesus to walk on the water. He didn't just jump. He calls out to Jesus, and here's Jesus' response, verse 29. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Jesus tells him, hey, come. I think Jesus was was excited to have Peter experience this. Come on, Peter. Come check this out. And maybe you can imagine what Peter is going through when he begins to walk on water. All right? I mean, he goes over to the edge of the boat, sits down on the edge, swings one leg over, swings the other leg leg over. Is this going to work? And he puts one foot down. And knowing Peter, he's like, guys, it's holding me. And he begins to walk. He begins to walk across the water. And where does he go? It says he begins to walk towards Jesus. I think when Jesus does call us to get out of the boat, there is one thing that we need to understand. The end result that he's desiring is that we get closer to him. Whatever he calls us to do outside of the boat, whatever in crazy, exciting, kingdom-building thing that we are getting to be a part of or what challenge or crisis that he calls us to do and to be a part of when he calls us out of the boat, the end result, the end desire, I believe, for Jesus is that we would come to him and that we grow closer to him. Peter begins to walk towards Jesus But then look at verse 30. It says this, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. When he saw the wind, I think it's interesting that Matthew says it was when he saw the wind. Can you see the wind? No. You can see the effects of the wind. It seemed to make more sense for him to say when he saw the waves, he freaked out. (laughs) He panicked. But no, it's when he saw the wind. I think I can relate to Peter. It's easy to get distracted from our faith so easily uh, by our frustrations, our insecurities, our temptations. A lot of the things we can't see, but we see the effects of those things in our lives, right? And they cause us to take our eyes 
off of Jesus. And when we take our eyes off of Jesus, like Peter, we lose our power source. He begins to sink, and when we take our eyes off of him, sometimes we do too, don't we? We lose our power source. When our eyes go to other things, we begin looking at other things in this world, the crisis of this world and in our lives, and those things now begin to have power over us instead of Jesus. And we begin to sink. Satan wants us to live in a constant state of panic. He wants us to keep our eyes on the crisis of this world and the things of this world. Because he knows that when we... When we focus on our fear, we fail to experience the life, experience life to the fullest that God desires for us. If he can just keep us distracted, if he can just keep our eyes off of him, we won't get to experience what God wants us to experience. Sometimes we fail to step out of the boat altogether when we don't keep our eyes on him. But keep on going in verse 30. Let's uh, hit the end of that uh, there where it says, But when we saw the wind, and when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. I think that's an interesting little phrase there as well. Because boats begin to sink, right? They get a hole, they begin to slowly sink. People. We just sink, right? Have any of you ever stepped into a pool and began to sink? Well, that's kind of weird. You know? No, I mean, you, we jump in, we, we go down, right? We, we drop. And of all people, you would think that Peter would be one who would sink like a rock. You got it. All right, some of you did. Some of you are like, what is he smoking? Um, no, Peter. Remember Peter? He, it was Simon. Jesus changed his name to Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Peter, Petros, rock. He's going to sink like a rock. All right, just wanted to make sure everybody was on board. Anyway, let's pray. Just kidding. Um, but no, it seems the way that Matthew says it here is that Peter slowly descends into the water. So imagine this. Imagine you're Peter. You have just experienced this amazing moment of walking on water. Like you're on top of the water and it's not ice. I mean, it's water and you're walking on it. And then you begin to notice the water that was under your feet is on top of your feet. And then it's to your ankles. And then it's to your shins. And then to your knees. And to your thighs. And at what point does Peter begin to panic <laughs> and cry out? Let me ask you a question. How deep do you have to go before you panic? How deep do you have to go before you cry out to Jesus? How many tears do you have to shed? How many hangovers do you have to go through before you realize that Jesus is what you need, not what's in the bottle? How toxic does your marriage have to get before you realize you need Jesus in the middle of it? How deep do you have to go before you realize you need Jesus 
Cry out to him. That's what Peter did. Look at verse 31. Immediately, so Peter cries out, and immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? I love that. Jesus caught him. This is a movie moment, right? I mean, Peter is sinking. His hand is up. I mean, it's like Titanic except for Jack lives. You know, it's like, there. But no. So Jesus catches him, brings him back up, and helps him out. And Peter here experiences Psalm 46, 1 through 3. I think this paints a picture of it. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, I will not panic. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the, in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with the, their surging, I'm not going to fear, I'm not going to... I'm not going to panic because he is my ever-present help in trouble. He is there. He is with us as we walk through this life, navigate this life, deal with this life. He is there, and we don't have to panic. Though the earth give way, though the diagnosis comes, though the pandemic spreads, though the coworker spreads rumors about me, though my job is terminated, though my kids make terrible decisions... I will not fear because he is with me. He is my ever-present help in trouble. That's our God. That's our king. And he's the one we take refuge in. He's the one that we find our strength in. So look what uh, Jesus says to him at the end of that verse, verse 31. It says this, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, some people want to say that Jesus is like coming down on him, you know, oh, Peter, you know, I don't think that. I think he's just making a statement. Hey, Peter, your faith's still small. Come on. Why'd you doubt me in this moment? You got this. The word for doubt that he uses there uh, suggests the idea of trying to go in two different directions at once or serving two different masters simultaneously. And I think Peter is still wrestling with this humanness side, the way he's always been living. And now I'm trying to embrace this trust and confidence in my Savior and Jesus. And he's still struggling. And Jesus says, hey, just trust me. Just trust me. And maybe we need to ask ourselves that question. Why? Why do you doubt? As we face all the struggles and challenges that come our way, the waves that beat against us in this world, why do we doubt? Why do we doubt that Jesus wants to be our ever-present help in trouble? Why do we doubt? But Peter does. Look at verse 28. Well, let me, we're going to back up to verse 28 because maybe we missed over, we rushed over this because Peter showed a little bit of doubt earlier. We like to focus in on the faith of Peter. Man, he got out of the boat. All the other disciples stayed in. He got out of the boat. That was awesome. But listen to verse 28 again, the very beginning where Peter says this, Lord, if it's you, I'm not sure, I'm not positive, but if it is you, tell me to come to you. Hear a little bit of doubt. And so maybe his brain is catching up to his heart, his passion, his, his logic is catching up to his passion. And he says, Wait a minute here. And he has a little doubt. 
Look at verse 32. Keep rolling. And when they climbed into the boat, so Peter and Jesus, they've been out on the water. Now they're climbing into the boat. When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. So in case walking on water and saving Peter was not enough (laughs) to amaze the disciples that are in the boat, now he's just calmed the wind. Okay, let's just turn that down. I also think it's interesting that Peter and Jesus didn't go ahead and just walk on across the lake. I wonder if Peter really asked Jesus if, he, if they could, hey, can we just go ahead and keep walking? We'll just meet him over there, you know. But Jesus says, no, let's get in the boat. And I think there's a reason. I think Jesus had a plan all along what he wanted to see happen in this moment. Look at verse 33. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Truly. You are the one. You are the I am. You've just declared that. You are the great I am. And they worship. He brought calm into their chaos, and the result is they worshiped. Let me give you two takeaways real quick. Number one is this. Listen to Jesus. So listen to Jesus. As we look at this whole story, a lot of times when we preach this, and I've preached it this way, is that you read this, and it's this, and, and, and us preachers, we like to get up and go, get out of the boat. God wants everybody to get out of the boat. You know, and it's like, yeah, sometimes. But there's other times. Remember why they were in the boat in the first place? Jesus told them to get in the boat, right? And so uh, the, I, think, I think the underlying um, challenge or call is just listen to Jesus. Does he tell, if he tells you to get in the boat, get in the boat. If he tells you to get out of the boat, get out of the boat. But just listen to Jesus. Sometimes we need to be in the boat with other disciples and we're just doing life. We're facing the winds, we're facing the challenges, but we're in it together and we're growing together and we're navigating life together. That's why we need one another. That's why we need our groups. That's why we need those relationships in this life. But then there's those times where Jesus comes, and if we're listening, he comes and he says, all right, I need you to get out of the boat. I got something big for you. And it may be on a stage. Most of the time it's not. It may be a great faith-building moment that he wants to call you to and call you to step into. It may be a hospital bed where he knows your faith's going to be challenged, but people are going to watch See your testimony live out. Maybe a moment of intense crisis that you're going to go through. People are watching. And oh, don't, it's not a stage like this stage, but it's still a stage. And you have an opportunity to grow the kingdom and point people to Jesus. So sometimes Jesus, he calls you to stay in the boat, but sometimes he calls you to get out. The fact is this, or the challenge is this, just listen. Go where he calls you. And I believe that when we do that, and this is what we see in the story, if we listen to Jesus, we do what he calls us to, it's going to end up in worship. We worship Jesus. When we experience what he's wanting to do in us, when whether, whether it's a boat experience or a walking on water experience, when we're walking after him and listening to him, we don't miss it. He's the great I am, and we worship, and we worship. If there's one thing I want you to walk away with, one statement I want you to grab hold of today, it's this statement here. 
whether you're, whether you're in the boat, whether you're walking on water, stay calm. Don't panic because Jesus is with you. Stay calm. Don't panic because Jesus is with you. He was with Peter when he was sinking. He was there to catch him. And I believe that he is there for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have that promise that he is one that is walking with you in this life. He has given, his, given you his spirit within you, the power of the Holy Spirit in you to, to empower you and lead you through this life. And he is there when you are overwhelmed. He is there when you feel lost. He is there when you have hard decisions to make or when you feel like you made a terrible decision. He is there. Trust him. Stay calm. Don't panic. Because he is there. He is with you. Paul says it this way over in Philippians chapter 4. He says, the Lord is near. Lays it right out. (laughs) The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't panic. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God. Oh, How many of y'all need some peace today? Come up for some air. Just come up for some peace. You need that? And the peace of God that transcends all understanding. We don't even understand why we're experiencing it. We are in the middle of crisis, but there's a peace. That peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Stay calm. Don't panic because Jesus is with you every step of the way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we thank you that you are a God that is with us every step of the way, that you are our ever-present help in trouble. And God, I know that there are some today that are part of the service today, they're in trouble They're in crisis. They're struggling. God, may they know without a doubt in this moment that you are the great I am and that you are their ever-present help and that that they don't have to panic in this moment, but that, God, they can just listen to you, to your voice, follow your lead. So, God, I pray, I pray that those who need your peace today find your peace today. I, I pray that those who are in a panic today, that they will find a calm in you that they've never experienced before. God, help us all to take a deep breath in you and the life that you desire for us. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.